want you to open your Bibles this morning to 1 Samuel. Uh, before we uh, turn, we, 1 Samuel 17, I'm sorry. And then if you'd like to, uh, I'm going to do another scripture, 2 Samuel chapter 21. 1 Samuel 17, uh, 2 Samuel uh, 21. I received a card in the mail just to say thank you. Um, raising voices and hands in gratitude, I received a thank you from the Blevins family for the benevolence that you have given to this family. I, I adjure you as we have to keep them in prayer. As a matter of fact, uh, Larry and Vanessa are in the service with us this morning. And uh, I tell you, I don't know of anybody who's been uh, through any more than they have the last three or four months and it's, uh, I think it's right and it's imperative that we uh, keep them in our prayers. Can you say amen? I noticed, how many of you noticed the, uh, the prayer list that was up? We, we see it every day, do we not? Let me, I just thought I'd ask you a question. How many are so glad you're not on that list? Aren't you glad you're not on that board? Will you just give the Lord a clap offering and say, Thank you, my God, that I'm not on that board. Thank you, Lord. I... We're the ones who get to come in here and, and uh, give our tithe and offering and support the work here and attend and enjoy the worship and hopefully the ministry. And, but other people are not nearly so privileged. I think we should recognize God in it all. And I, I, I'm so grateful for the blessings God has given us in that endeavor. Well, my staff took my podium away from me and they tell me I have to use this. I mean, I get to use this table. So uh, that's what I'm going to do. And if I take a notion, I can actually uh, uh, park it. So uh, I don't know. You stay around long enough, everybody's going to become your boss. That I've learned. Some of you may not know, I've had a, a pretty tough summer. I've had a couple of surgeries. I, I think that anything that ails you ought to be over with in three or four days. Well, I found out differently, and that's okay. I, I, I will tell you this. I walk into a hospital today, especially if someone's had surgery, with an entirely different compassion about what they go through. And uh, I, I don't think we should ever lose any opportunity to learn and thank God God teaches. I know everybody keeps asking, Pastor, how are you? How are you? I tell you, it's been a long time for me, but, well, I think it's been long. But I want to just tell you, thank you for praying. And I, I tell you, the last two days, the Lord has helped me so much. And I feel like, ladies and gentlemen, let the devil's defeated and we're going to go on. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Thank you. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you so much. In 1 Samuel, we're going to read about a young man that's been known probably more uh, thoroughly than any other in the Old Testament for sure. If you've been around church all your life, you've heard of this young man all your life. And I, I want to be as practical as I can this morning and talk to us about something that I know that we need to keep in mind through the Word of God. 1 Samuel chapter 17, I'd like you to read with me at verse 48. So it was when the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. You already know this is David running toward Goliath. Very familiar story. Verse 49. 
Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, the Philistine sword, and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. I want you to put that in a real mental picture today. As a matter of fact, I'd like for you to occupy the place of David. Whether you're male or female, you're a young person, and here's this 9 to 11 feet tall giant guy, and you are anointed to go against him, and the Lord gives you victory. But I know this sounds a little gross and a little tough, but can you just see yourself letting loose that sling? running up to his big, huge body on the ground, pulling, they say, some 30, 40-pound sword or spear and removing his head. We read through things and it, we get a picture, but when we... it's Listen, this wasn't an average day in this young man's life. And how many of you know that there's a few average days in our lives? But here's something that's so important. Let's go to chapter... Second uh, Samuel chapter 21. I'm going to read at verse 15. When the Philistines were at war, what's the next word? What is it? Have you ever had more than two problems? You ever had more than one? More than two? When the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines, and David grew faint. David is much older now. Then Ishbabinab, that's what I want to name my next son. <laughs> Ishbabinab, son, you can thank me after church. <laughs> well, I be Ishbabinab. <laughs> Don't you love God's humor? Then Ishbabinab, who was one of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose bronze spear was 300 shekels, who was bearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zerah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the man of God, or man, the men of David, swore to him, saying, You shall go out no more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. They didn't want the king of Israel. To be killed. Now it happened afterward that there was, what's the next word? Again, a battle with the Philistines at Gob. Then Shebekai the Hushite killed Saph, who was one of the sons of the giants. How many of you are glad you're not reading this this morning? <laughs> and the very next word on 19 is what? Again. There was war at Gob with the Philistines, where Elhanan, the son of, okay, Jareel origin, J-O, Joe for short, the Bethlehemite killed the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, 
the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Verse 20, next two words. Yet again, there was war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature, who had six fingers on each hand, six toes on each foot. Twenty-four in number, and he also was born the giant. So when he defiled Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, killed him. These four were born to the giant in Gath, and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Lord, I thank you for your word. Open it to our hearts that we might gain wisdom and sustenance, God, with the help of our Lord. I pray it in Jesus' name. Let everybody say amen. I read probably one of the most familiar verses of, or portions of Scripture about an individual that we'll ever know in the Word. David and Goliath, known since I was a little boy. I'll tell you how far back I go. For some of you who have never seen this, when I was a little boy in, in, in Sunday school, we had made a, just a wooden box in the middle of the room. It was about a tube of six or a tube of eight, and it was filled about halfway or more with sand. And our, our Christian literature used to come in a punch-out card with a little tab on it, and they would set, my teacher would set David and Goliath up in the sand. Pretty visual. Anybody here, please raise your hand. If you, anybody here beside me ever go, fo- how many of you remember that? You're not going to raise your hands just because I ask you to. Let me remember putting stand-ups in sand. Well, you're as young as I am, or younger than me. Or seriously, you don't remember that? <laughs> I must have been born in David's day. I just remember this is very vivid in my mind. Childhood, knowing about this miraculous work of God, this familiar story. Here it is, David was king, uh, Saul was king, David was a shepherd boy. The Israelites and the Philistines were at war, as you can tell, many times. The two armies line up, square off face to face across a valley for the battle of which nation would serve the other. A Philistine warrior by the name of Goliath issued a challenge. He said something in this nature, I'll paraphrase it. We don't need an entire army to settle this dispute. I will represent the Philistines. You send a man that will be a representative. You choose him. And we too will fight. And whoever wins, the other will serve as slaves. Now that's awful big and bold of a guy that's somewhere around 9 to 11 feet tall. Against a shepherd lad. I want to tell you, sometimes what seems like a great big genuine threat of Satan is not near what it, may, what it is in the spirit realm. But Goliath was a giant. And David, because of his size, that challenge of that big man challenged and actually demoralized the army of Israel. Goliath, between 9 and 11 feet as I said, we study he wore a coat of armor that weighed some 200 pounds. He carried a spear that we know weighed at least 25 pounds. For 40 days, every day, that giant of a man walked to the low part of that valley, issued that challenge across the valley to Israel. He strutted back and forth with that challenge and he even insulted Israel. For 40 days, King Saul, the leader of 
of the Israeli army. He searched in vain among his troops for someone who had enough courage. Can I say who had enough faith? Or even tenacity? Or perhaps reckless abandon looking for someone who would face this giant to take him on? Can I just say from an observation, it is my opinion, you do not have to agree. But if Saul made heaven, and perhaps he did, I want to ask him, I want to know why you didn't go face Goliath. Here's the reason. If you go back before he became king, God had appointed him king, and there's a description full of adjectives that said he wanted Saul because he stood head and shoulders above all Israel. Saul was a big, tall man compared to the average Israeli man. And he was the leader. He should have been out there. Do you think God would have done any less for Saul than he did David? I I will tell you, there's some uncomfortable times being leadership. If you've ever been in a leader or boss or anything like that, you'll understand some of those uncomfortable things. In the meantime, while Goliath spewing out his poison, in a distant field, Jesse, a man, was concerned about three of his sons that were in that army. They had fought in Saul's army for a while. But out in his pasture, attending his sheep, was his youngest son. David was called from the field, and his dad, Jesse, said, Take food, inquire of the welfare of your three brothers, and come back and tell me how they are. But when David, this young lad, arrived at that battle scene, the situation looked extremely bleak for Israel. And no one in that entire army, including Saul, knew what to do. I've had times in leadership when I didn't know what to do. How many of you parents know that if you parent someone from birth till they leave for, out of, to, for college, you're going to have some times when you don't know what to do. If we've been in marriage sometimes and Satan's come, there's some times when you don't know what to do. Leadership has great responsibility. Say Amen. But Israel didn't know what to do. No one knew where to look any further for Israel while they sat there in pondered slavery. And perhaps I'm going to just try to describe it in human terms. Here's King Saul. Perhaps he started getting dark circles under his eyes. It reflected the state of a man with the weight of a nation on his shoulders. Don't forget the high pressure and the high stakes. Day and night, Sleep for him was impossible. Day and night he sought with his generals, his men of war, for a strategy to use against this enemy. And day and night, division of opinion and perhaps confusion remained while Saul was toiling. And I want to stop here and make some observations that are important to our lives. When leadership speaks with a hesitating voice, when leadership speaks with fear or indecision, when leadership appears to be confused and groping, when there is a division at the top, those attitudes and that kind of spirit, that kind of dilemma has a way of filtering down and affecting the spirits and the attitudes of everyone in the rank and file. That's why we should pray for our leaders, from our top office president all the way to our own homes. That happens. 
So a sense of hopelessness, sure enough, spread through Israel's army. It had gripped them. It had paralyzed them. The minds, their spirits, their hearts, these soldiers appeared helpless. Also, I want to say this. When this kind of situation arises in your life and mine, when this kind of situation involves God's people, it is in this same kind of situation that out of obscurity, and sometimes, most of the time, out of pure simplicity, and out of no human reasoning whatsoever, it can seem so ludicrous to the mind of humanity, in that time, it's amazing how God will send His answer to the problem. And sometimes when you least expect it, or of course in a way that you would never fathom, I want to declare to you, no matter how many battles you're in, God has an answer. God has an answer. And young David saw the plight of Israel. And he saw the arrogance of Goliath. Can I stop and tell you today that I see the arrogance of Satan all over this nation. I see it in high places where there's also wickedness. I see the intent of the enemy, ladies and gentlemen, to bring the Antichrist. And I think we're in the closing days. It's time to fight the giants. It's past time to fight the giant. Young people, mom and dad, let me tell you. David stepped forth, and he himself, but with God, challenged that giant. Can you fathom? Young people, mom and dad, let me tell you something else. One of the great dilemmas against great faith one of the great dilemmas or tendencies toward great faith. It is so very easy for the natural mind of man in this natural world to allow the enemy out of what we see and let that override and overrule everything that God is doing in the supernatural world. I've tried many, many times to tell you, God gives us two sets of eyes. One to see the natural world and the spirit so we can see the supernatural spirit world. What is seen can argue with what is yet to be seen. How many of you can say, Pastor, there's times when I didn't see what was going on, but thank God He was doing something. So don't look so much at what is seen because what is yet to be seen is God's world. Young David saw the problem and naturally, in the natural realm, watch this, he approached that guy to challenge him. And in the natural, the whole crowd, Saul tried to get him to wear his armor. I love this scene. Where Saul says, you got to put on my armor. Now you imagine, this is a lad. And this is a, the biggest man in Israel. They put, can you imagine putting, putting Saul's armor on David? And they say, okay, go out. And he takes three steps before the armor moves. I don't know, I'm just using my imagination. But look, look how foolish that was. And I want to go, Saul, you were appointed not by men, but by God. 
sir, if you're a Christian man, you're appointed to be a spiritual head over that household. Mom, if you're a spiritual woman, you have tremendous spiritual responsibilities toward your husband and your children and your home. Now shout me down. It's true. And the greater the, greater the position, the greater the responsibility. And here this young man was, made a challenge to that whole army. He was viewed with disbelief. And you read it, that war, even Saul, even the, his brothers, go home. They scorned him. Have you ever started to do something for God and your best friend or the close friend scorn you? Are you kidding? Actually, I had that problem within myself. When the Lord called me, I said, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> At least I learned I had good company even in Moses' day. I learned, young people, adults, when you place your life in the providence and the will of God... When you decide that He's going to rule your life rather than you ruling your own life, I will tell you this, there's going to be some challenges. There's going to be some great uncomfortableness. Young people, do not let somebody despise your youth with the work God wants to do in your life. We will not despise your youth. We will help you find a way. As a matter of fact, the Scripture says, train a child in the way he should go. It, yes, it means the Bible. Yes, it means the stories. It means that, but it means more than that, parent. It means you pray and you fast and you watch that child and you let the Spirit of God determine what you believe God wants that child to do and help him in that path because the greatest ultimate position your child will ever know is right in the middle of God's perfect will. That is superior. Wow, it seems like those who are willing sometimes to do nothing and those who have done nothing always criticize those who are willing to do something. You're just a little boy. This is a giant. If it wasn't uncomfortable, I'd have my buddy Ron come up here and stand beside me because he's this much taller than me. You gotta be kidding, Brooks. You and Mixer. You're six foot four or five. I don't know what he weighs, but it's probably a heap more than me. I couldn't probably hit him off the line on football. I could hit him. <laughs> I just may not move him. I mean, what size shoe you wear, Ron? Size fifteen. Takes a pair of mine to make one of his. <laughs> I feel like a man. <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing. It, we see in the natural, we see this in the world, and we live like that today. Oh, you've got to be kidding. That young guy sitting there 15 years old, and you think God's calling him. God could be calling him. Because I was among most unlikelies. But I've watched people, they're willing to do nothing but sit back and criticize those who want to do something. You're just a little boy. You've had, you don't have any experience. This man's been fighting for years. That's the natural view. But listen, because when... You, actually, David did have some experience. 
He did face some giants. Just because when you are young and small doesn't mean that God won't anoint you to do some things in your life. And when young and small, he, when David was young and small, a bear came to destroy his dad's sheep. And he destroyed that bear. A second one giant came, a lion, and he destroyed that. Let me tell you, to David in that battlefield for the sheep of his dad, to that, to that young man, a bear and a lion are giants. As a matter of fact, they're giants to fully grown people. Ask Ron Mixer at his size if he'd like to face a lion or a bear face to face. Don't you dare say you would. <laughs> Listen, if there's potential for God, if there's potential for the glory of God, if there's potential for the eternal kingdom of God, Satan will not wait until you're spiritually mature to attack you. He will try to get your infant Christian legs taken out from under you. He'll send a bear. He'll send a lion to destroy you as quickly as he can. That's why new converts need our support and our training in this book because they're no match for Satan outside of this book. You see, long before this giant Goliath came along. This same young lad had been anointed by God. The only person that I know in the entire Old Testament that was anointed three times. Three times. He was anointed and called by God and he was anointed to become king. And Satan sent another giant. David said, this, this, listen to these words, it's important. David said, the same God that allowed me to defeat the bear, the same God that allowed me to defeat the lion, that attacked my dad's sheep, that same God who is my rod and my staff, that same God who comforts me, that same God that even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death will be with me, that same God that prepares a meal right in front of my enemies, that same God that will follow me all the days of my life, that same God that has destined me to spend eternity in heaven, that same God will make this giant as the first two giants, and that's the attitude every Christian should have today. Amen. Thank the Lord. That same God. He destroyed the lion. He destroyed the bear. He will destroy this giant. And thank God we know the story. God came again and used David and this giant fell. And thank God for it. Can you imagine what happened on that on that battlefield. We know it. Reading scripture. Israel ran behind David. Across the valley. And took control. Of the Philistinian army. And when they finished. There was a shout. There was a party. There was a glory. There was. Ladies and gentlemen. It was glorious. It's always glorious. When we defeat the enemy. We laugh. We cry. We shout. We dance. And rightly so. We should. For the enemy needs to be put in his place. But I want to tell you something that will probably not be news to most of us. Perhaps to some. But I want to announce I've learned. Ladies and gentlemen, giants just keep coming. They just keep coming. However, keep in mind, every battle is God's battle. Say that with me. Every battle is God's battle. Every giant is God's problem. Say that with me. 
Every giant is God's problem. God always has a plan. Say that with me. God always has a plan. And I don't care what your doubt is today. I don't care what your struggle is today. This much I will tell you. God's doing something outside the natural world for you. You can't see it. Don't let what you see stop what you have yet to see. Understand this. God's battle is your battle. Your battle is God's battle. The giant is God's problem. And God has a plan. Just sometimes trust and be still and watch God do something you haven't imagined. When David became king, he began to be a seasoned warrior. As a matter of fact, he was one of the greatest warriors Israel ever knew. Eventually stayed so long, he became an old man. And through his lifetime, all he did was fight giant after giant. Ishbabinab, back to old I.B. Ishbabinab carried a spear that weighed 12 to 14, 16 pounds, history tells us. He had the latest developed suit of armor years later. David had never seen a giant just like this giant before. Satan will come at you two ways. One, if he ever finds anything that works on you, he'll see that it keeps working on you and keeps working on you and keeps working on you till you decide you've had enough and let you and God destroy it. Stop letting Satan have victory in, in what is called your Secret sin. Look in Romans. My besetting sin. Go to God. God has a victory for it. That's one way. The other thing, He'll bring something totally new and totally unexpected. And you won't, you won't even have a clue sometime what it is. Verse 16. He thought, this giant, Babishanab, he decided he would destroy David. Isn't it amazing? Here's a giant all these years later, and David's still his size, and yet he's a giant, and he's going to kill David. But Abishai, one of David's troops, came to his rescue. Listen, sometimes you need to depend on other people in the family. That's why you and I need each other. That's why we don't need to be criticizing one another. We ought to be building one another up. Because I want to tell you something. You have no idea what's going on in the life of somebody sitting right beside you right now. You, have, you would be amazed to know what Satan's trying to do in somebody's life in this room this morning. Oh, well, Pastor, they, they may not have quite enough money to pay the bill. I want to tell you, sometimes financial problems can be the least of problems. I want to tell you where you can get in a place like something like this. No greater pain will you ever experience in your life. I will promise you this. No greater pain you'll ever experience in your life is when Satan's trying to destroy one of your children. And you can't climb up in that mind and flip that switch. And you can't make that happen. And you, you, are you kidding me? You've paid the hospital bills. You bought the bassinet. You bought the frilly dresses and the boots and jeans. You bought... you you. Furnished all the lunch money. You put the candles on the cake every year. You bought them a car. You sent them to school. You supported them. And they're headed in everything except what you know they should do. And in all human ability, don't you wish you could get in that blood vein and climb up in that brain and flip a chemical switch and say, Oh, cut their head into what God wants them to do. You'd have no idea what's going on in people's lives. 
Let me just stop and say I'm going to meddle a little bit. As if I'm not meddling now. Young people. It's amazing. Today, can I tell you that many of the messages that you are getting from this society are anything but godly. They are not from the Spirit of the Lord. And I just want to tell you, your mom and dad, and me and that youth pastor and all of us here, are trying to live an example and preach the right word. And we only have about an hour on Sunday morning to try to negate all the lies and the filth and all the, all the pretty decorated and all the glitter that Satan operates and gives and offers as if it's the life. It's the life, the sports cars, being Hollywood stars, millions of dollars, and yet they live the most miserable lives of anybody you'll ever meet in your life. Don't despise our love. We're not against you. There's nobody close to being for you like mom and dad and pastors. Amen. Amen. Nothing ever sown in the negative reaps a positive harvest. He'd never seen a giant like this before. Then Saf came, another giant. But giants just keep coming. Then came the brother of Goliath. And he was defeated, but giants just keep coming. Another giant came. Six fingers on each hand, six toes on each foot. He was defeated. You see, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how great you are. Doesn't matter how powerful you are. Doesn't matter how influential you are. Or how impressive your last victory. No one goes through life with only one giant face. And some of the reason you go through some of the things you do as a teenager so you can build some faith in God. And parents and pastors teach you as young married and struggling. All these chapters in life, we try to hold you steady. We do everything we can to get you to see what is genuine truth without having to face it in a damaging way. Mom and dad say, Amen. Trying to protect you. Christian believer, your, your Philistine adversary is roaming to and fro like a wounded lion seeking whom he may devour. That's what the scripture says. As long as we have potential for the kingdom, as long as we've dedicated our life to God's glory rather than our own, giants will appear. There are giants of obstacles. There are giants of trials. There are giants of major multitudinous emotions. There are giants of stumbling blocks. There are giants of setbacks. There are giants of discouragements. So that's my entire introduction. You ready for the message? Here it is. I thought if I said that, you'd pay attention. 2019. 2019. Quickly let me observe this. Not all giants are from without. Some of the most deadly giants you'll ever face will be within. This is why, young people, we spank your bottom. And we don't give you a $200 pair of jeans and a pair of $200 tennis shoes. 
Pastor, what in the world does that have to do with you? Here's why. Because inside you must build what you are before you build what you become. And if there's no discipline in your youth, there's no discipline in your adulthood. If you won't take responsibility when you're young, you'll shun it when you're old also. And today, it's let everybody do everything for me. I deserve it. The truth is, if we got what we deserve, all of us, because of sin, would be cast into outer darkness. But because God came, God puts responsibility on us, and He wants us to grow up and be mature. You can't always have it the way you want it. As a matter of fact, most of the time, it won't be the way you want it. And we know that, we realize that, but we don't ever want it to come to ever making us uncomfortable or putting us to any trouble. Let me tell you something. It takes character to build discipline in your life. To get integrity, it takes responsibility. I told him I'd be brief today. I don't even know what time it is. Oh, well, it's not 2 o'clock yet. I, uh, when I was a boy, I, we lived about 15 miles out in the country and had cattle. And well, I, I had to be responsible. I thought I would, I know this sounds silly, but I thought I would never learn to milk a cow. I tried and tried and tried. When I, I was about the first grade, my granddad and dad finally taught me how to milk a cow. And I just want to tell you something. Be careful what you think you want to do because you may do it for the next 12, 15 years. Sometimes we had one cow. Sometimes we had two. Sometimes we had three. It was my job from first grade on every morning get up and go milk one, two, or three cows, feed the calves, separate them, then go get ready for school. Every day after school, night and day, I had to go get the cows up, put the calves up, milk them, separate them. And if you think that's fun after a while, you can think again. And those of you who have been down that path, I don't know if you know what cockaburs and a cow's tail can do, but I do. And a calf can hit mom and make her step on your foot. How many of you know what kickers are? You can put kickers on a cow so they don't kick you. We had a corral. We did all that. I had to be responsible. We had a big head rack that we would catch our cattle in. And I had we had chains that... Uh, cross ties for post had double cross ties four, two on each side with chains around this gate this head gate and one night it was dark about 8 o'clock we had to catch a great big bull and vaccinate him and that thing hit the end of that rack and it fell to the ground it was one of the old type that had a arm over it and my dad get him in here get him in or I ran him in and you have to catch his head my dad went to pull it down that bull hit that so hard he hit my dad in the head and flipped him and the bull ran and my dad said what in the world now my dad was closer to mixer size about it's dark about eight thirty, nine o'clock and he went to look at that rack and me and the pastor's son in town, 
We had gone a week or two before that and took all the chains off. We looped them together, went about 500 yards to the creek, got up in a tree with about 100 used nails and nailed it so we could have a swing across the creek. You know, you'd think my dad would appreciate the ingenuity. (laughs) Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you just think, my son, what a good imagination. My dad turned to me and he said, young man, you get down there now. And you get those chains and you put them back. Uh, uh, Dad, it's dark. Dad, it's 500 yards. Would you put your poor 10-year-old down on that creek climbing a tree in the dark where there's spiders and squirrels and raccoons and everything else? And I couldn't find a hammer. I couldn't find anything. My dad never told me anything twice because I knew the second time it was too late. And he said, you get down there now. And I want you to know I took off across that terrace and ran about 500 yards looking around, found that tree because we had nailed steps on the side of the tree. I made my way up there. I didn't have a a hammer. I didn't have anything. There was a big ring on it like that and I'd put about 40, 50 nails all the way around it. I started jerking it and jerking, pull it and do everything I could. I finally got that chain off. I got on the ground, ran all the way back and he said, let's go to the house. Wouldn't you think we'd have put them on? Why do I have to do that? Here's why. Listen to this. If a mistake you make doesn't cost you more than it pays, you'll do it again. If it doesn't cost you more than what you have fun out or pleasure out of it, then you'll repeat it. And maybe know it's quiet in here. Some of the greatest giants you'll face are from within. Some of the greatest battles you'll fight won't be in the public view. Or even onlookers can encourage you. Some of your biggest battles will be in your secret place, your chamber, where you and only you and God go. And only you and the Lord know about it. And by the way, every one of us have that secret place. We have our outer life personality body. We have that soulish realm where we share our soul with God. In these, but then there's a secret place where only you and God go. And it's in there that you're either going to win or lose the battle. I pre- I'm going to preach it again. It's called your guest chamber. I preached it years ago. Who's in your guest chamber? Because that's eventually what you're going to become. The guests that you keep in your inmost guest chamber will determine what you become. Here's an interesting thought. David faced Goliath when he was a young boy and he faced all the others when he was an old man. My observation is this. It seems like giants come when most of the time it would include you're either too young or too old. It seems he faced the giants when least prepared to battle them. Tells us something about our enemy this morning. Satan respects neither age nor circumstance. 
Satan did not appear immediately after Jesus was betrayed, or after he was baptized, excuse me. Satan, Satan didn't come right after John baptized him. After he heard the Spirit of God and the Spirit landed on him, God said, this is my Son whom I'm well pleased. No, Satan waited 40 days after fasting. And Satan came to him, the Son of God said, you don't have to do this, you don't have to take this. Don't you let anybody tell you what to do. You don't have to go through this. He said, "If matter of fact, if you're really the Son of God, command these stones after 40 days of fasting to become bread. Satan always wants you to take the easy way out. Always the easy way. after fasting. But I didn't come to remind us so much about giants today as I did this. Not to place the attention on the giants. We should know our enemy. But I want to share with you the good news and I'll be through. When David seemed too young and when he seemed too old, when he seemed insufficient, when he seemed least prepared, every time David had supernatural help. Come on, give the Lord a praise. In the New Testament, Jesus said to the disciples, I will send you a helper. I will send you a comforter. You will receive power when my helper, the Spirit, takes residence inside of you. Ladies and gentlemen, young people, the day will never arrive that our God will not provide abounding grace and supernatural power that absolutely defeats every giant designed for your ruin. I want to announce to you today, ladies and gentlemen, mom and dad, young people, we have supernatural help. Let me paraphrase that. Put it in our own words. There is no temptation. There is no problem. There is no challenge. There is no giant. There is no power in heaven or under the earth or in hell that can come against you and profit against you for you are my possession. I own you and I will take care of you. Nothing takes me by surprise. I'm at the right hand of the Father. I have paid all the prices I have made all the provision you are sufficient to all things in Christ Jesus I've made provision I've given you promises I've given you divine assistance and no giant rivals the creator Yahweh Jehovah God ten of twelve spies compared the giants of Canaan to themselves. Ten of twelve. But two of the twelve compared the giants to their God. There's a big difference. Saints, don't ever listen to the negative language of the grasshoppers. (laughs) 
Don't listen to the negative language of the grasshoppers. When a giant tries to invade you and intimidate you, I'm going to say this. I am coming to a close, I promise. When a giant tries to intimidate you, remind him who it is that is inside of you. Remind him of who it is that represents you. Remind of him who it is that you really belong to. Remind him who it is that has taken up residence inside of you. Scripture says, submit to God. Resist the devil, the giant, and he will flee from you. Personally, and for the church, and everybody on Facebook, giants are everywhere. Satan is a Satan is a pro at producing them. I want to go back to what I've said. Every battle is God's battle. Every giant is God's problem. God always has a plan. I was thinking this morning. Christ's birth, His ministry, His death, His resurrection, His sitting at the right hand of the Father praying for us. All that was Satan's undoing. All that is Satan's undoing. And you think we shouldn't worship God? You think we shouldn't lift our hands unashamedly and say, I love my Lord. I love my eternal Savior. I have some news for you. There's only going to be 30 minutes of silence in heaven. And after that, all praise is going to break loose. I was thinking, I'm not only speaking to this congregation, to many on Facebook. So I want to say, Sometimes you are God's plan. Sometimes you and everybody on Facebook, sometimes you're God's plan. And God has a plan. And the more you do and the more responsibility, the more He'll come. But this much I know. He will teach you His ways. He will pick you up. He will dust you off. He will put a spirit in you that Satan cannot defy. And he will say, son and daughter, let's finish this journey. I've had multiple hundreds of hundreds, let me say thousands of excuses to walk away from the pulpit out of pure inadequacy and out of absolute inferiority. Thinking I could never be a pastor and I could never be a preacher. I want to tell you something. God will do things in you you never imagine, but you got to face the giant. Let's go back to that valley. We're there. We pull that stone. And today, if you're facing a giant of any kind, pull that stone. Take that sling. And this much I know, God will direct that stone. And God will destroy that giant.